Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks, to Roach on Recovery. We're back. Along with my, this is your host, Orville Roach, along with my producer and co-host, Chris Morales. 646-564-9909 is the number. 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call in and speak to us. Just want to listen to the show, you can go to our show website, blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. We still have confidence in them. <laughs> yeah, so far. <laughs> Blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. If you want to listen to the show live on your computer, your tablet, your phone, etc. Anything that gets an internet connection. That's right. Or if you want to just listen through the uh, call-in line, you can do so if that's your only means. Make it happen. And by the way, I'm losing titles left and right. I mean, we dropped Engineer last week. I can't even get a call, call screen, screen or call, shout-out. Yeah, call screen. <laughs> Pretty soon we just producing. That'll be it. <laughs> cutting salaries, cutting cutting costs, cutting cutting the fat. That's it. Uh, so we just finished Halloween weekend. It's always nice when Halloween falls, falls on, a, on yeah. a Friday or a Saturday. Exactly. Kitties get lucky. That's right. That's right. And of course, uh, we used to, for a number of years, do a haunted house. That's right. If you recall. Absolutely. Oh, not only do I recall, I'm upset that it's gone. That uh, got some very rave reviews over, the, over the years. Um, extensively worked on and, and, and acted in by the clients themselves. Um, made the TV news, local news, uh, I think our first year um, that we put it on. Remember they had that big satellite thing sitting outside the. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we weren't expecting that, but you know, word of mouth, and then we had people coming around from all parts of the local counties. That this is what you know, the thing that they did was they went to haunted houses and then you know judged them. Right. And I think this was. This wasn't a Yelp thing, like they put it on Yelp, but this right. was kind of like right. 
around Yelp time or before Yelp time, but they would just, you know, judge it. And then word of mouth as a result of that spread, because we got pretty good ratings from our haunted house. Now, this is just us folks, you know, in treatment, uh, buying wood, you know, drawing stuff up and and, right. and, and and using the facility and dressing it up as a haunted house. Being and quite ha- resourceful. And having the public come through and um, having them come out the other end and people <laughs> roll, rolling. Um, am, am I staticking? Roll, rolling through the doors and uh, and falling over themselves and, and running out scared for their lives. We knew, That's right. We knew then we had something going. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was going to, it's funny you mentioned that because the community certainly took notice. Um, I was in Bank of America the other day, Mm -hmm. um, depositing, making a deposit and the, one of the tellers who has worked there for a very long time, who sees me every other Friday and knows where I work, um, asked, are you guys doing the haunted house this year? Is it coming back? Mm -hmm. She lives in the community. Mm Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, our whole neighborhood loved it. And so the community took notice. Mm-hmm. And I told her, um, thanks to the work of our executive director, it will not be coming back. So if you'd like, I could pass the grievance along to him that the community is not happy about it not being there. <laughs> that has nothing to do with me. You can thank the uh, <laughs> you can thank your president and the Affordable Care Act for that. <laughs> right. Um, but this past Saturday... Uh, our clients did enjoy a uh, Halloween party. We'll get together, yep. Uh, that's what we want to call it. Uh, they played some games, did some limbo. Uh, and what else did we do? We had the freeze contest, freeze dance contest. And then okay. we had the, um, I think it's called the Spoon Walk. You know what that is? Uh, there's different variations of it. I've so, seen a spoon in the hand with an egg in it. No, or so ours was a spoon in the mouth. mouth. Yep. And you had to scoop up as many as the corn candies okay. as you can and Candy walk corn. about 10, 15 feet to the bucket. Dump them in. And, and see who can scoop them the most. Who can and, fill and, them. Yeah, you got two tries and uh, one client, uh, uh, one with 12. Okay. And he even got 12 on, he got 12 in his first go around, and then in the and then in the final round, the winner take all round. He he double he did it again. He got twelve. Model of consistency. So um, these are some of the prizes we gave away, folks. So uh, the person who won, uh, I'm not sure which who won what, but we gave away um, late wake ups. All right. For the week. Sleeping in is nice. Uh, we gave away first in line for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Now, <laughs> excluding uh, new family members. Okay. And let us that, tell you right there, folks, for anyone who has doesn't know what a residential facility is like working in one or staying in one, first in line for meals is major. Mm-hmm. Okay? Let me tell you something about that because the, the time is structured. Mm-hmm. And so if you're last in line... You got about ten minutes less than first in line to eat before cleanup is called. So yep. first in line is huge. Yep. And then the other thing we gave out as an award was um two days off structure. Nice. So the the people were uh aghast <laughs> at the awards because they didn't know in advance. Like, oh my god, if I knew that's what we were getting, I would have tried harder on the spoon <laughs> on the spoon walk. Right. Um uh, but 
They had fun, which was the most important thing. The clients got fun, had fun. Most of them got involved. That's good. And then there was a, a dance afterwards. Now, as always is the case, whether it's 1989, 1999, or 2009, or 2015, we always have to watch out. <laughs> of course. The lights are low. There's masks on to conceal identity. Teddy Pentagrass, turn off the lights. <laughs> That's it. The game players come out. Right. All the uh, the couples come to the floor. So always got to orientate the staff. This is when you got to be on your toes. Be on your, you know. Bring your A game with you. Bring your A game because as soon as the as soon as the lights get dimmed and that music starts pumping, especially the slow jams, watch <laughs> out for who couples up. That's it. You know what I mean? So, but. Word on the street is all in all. I mean, we, my wife and I were there for the majority of the time, uh, but we left uh, since our our two dogs have us on a curfew. Of course. Um, Did either of the dogs get dressed up for Halloween? You know, no, not this time, but they we did embarrass them <laughs> a couple of Halloweens ago. <laughs> and that's what it is. And... Um, our first Ridgeback lady, late the late lady, um, uh, my wife dressed her up as a bunny rabbit. Oh, no, not lady. Yeah. Defiled her as a bunny rabbit. <laughs> uh, Bailey, maybe. The yeah, small yeah, one, maybe. Yeah. But come and, on. And, and and to think of it, I don't think Bailey got uh, got defiled in any way. I don't think he got uh, dressed up. So. <laughs> it's no good. I'm not sure whose idea that was, but what have you. A bunny rabbit. We're talking about a dog that used to interact with lions, for crying out loud. Yeah. Yep. Poor lady. Her dignity gone on that night. Yep. 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 Um, so that's that. You folks on the eastern seaboard, if you didn't hear about it, we got rain. It came and went. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. left almost as quickly as it came. But it, it was it, it was at least uh, it wasn't a sprinkle. It was decent uh, decent weight. Yeah. To it. Yeah. But uh, we're so dry that when, when you woke up the next morning, there were no signs that there was a rainstorm. But you heard it overnight. But, right. But it just my prediction is coming through because last year in October, we didn't get anything. Of course. Yeah, no. We didn't even get a mist. So the fact that we got an overnight, you know, dropping, you know, other than the usual, you know, sprinkle. Yeah. No, I, your prediction so. is definitely coming true. Also, we were not this past week yesterday specifically the drop in temperature uh we were not that cold last year until maybe even december or yeah. january and it's here end of october beginning of november it was it was a little chilly so okay east folks east coast folks relatively speaking when he says cold out here they, mean, they mean in the 50s <laughs> not our cold you know 10 degrees 15 degrees if it gets below 50 it's it leads the news <laughs> We're freezing out here. It leads the news when it's the temperature has a chance of going below 50s. And and God forbid if it if there, if there's any chance <laughs> of it going below 40. You're breaking records there's, if we're getting into the 30s. Possible state of emergencies <laughs> and you know the the blanket vans are going out for the homeless. I mean, you name it, everything is happening. So It's true. That's one of the uh, first things I had to adjust to out here when you started talking about cold and you see that they were talking about 45 degrees. I'm like, cold. It's all relative, I so, suppose. It is relative. Um, 
That's all I got. Uh, that's all I got as well. On to the next. Let's do it. I want to go I'd first. Like to, I'd like I want to go first. <laughs> I got to go. I'm sorry. I got to go first. Oh, man. We'll go for it. This has got to be among the one of the worst sports weekends in the history of, uh, of all of okay. my teams. Yeah, you deserve this. You deserve to go first. Not only did the New York Mets get swamped, I won't say swept because they won one game, swamped out of the World Series. So the Mets lost. The Knicks lost. The Jets couldn't beat the Oakland Raiders. The Giants scored 49 points and still couldn't beat the New Orleans Aints. And, of course, the Cowboys can't seem to score over 15 points. So all of my teams lost. They all took a loss. They all took an L. The only reason I was going to cut you off is to say I don't even feel like talking in this segment uh, at the moment. But what are you going to do, 49ers fans out there? We... uh, I think the thing that gets me and from what I've been reading the fans the most is you had an owner make a decision to cut ties with the potential best coach the 49ers have seen since Seifert or Walsh. Maybe you can throw Mariucci in there, but a great coach. And the owner states in the after-season press conference that they all do when the season comes to an end that he wants to be held accountable. Hold me accountable, he says, which is laughable to every fan who's followed any organization for a long period of time. And now the crap is hitting the fan. We've got a a team that can't win a game or score a touchdown, a quarterback that's getting benched, a head coach they appointed who's taking all the heat. And is there a peep out of our owner who said, hold me accountable? He's laughing all, all the way to the bank, cashing checks from seats that are purchased in his Million billion dollar stadium, unbelievable. I don't, I don't hear a thing out of this guy. Well, the only thing I can say is that I read someone, a fan, who we know, say that uh, all of the Niner fans, that are true fans, should come together and boycott the games. Now, this has been said over the many years in millennia in sports when mm-hmm. the, the local team has not been doing well. It's, that's never going to happen. Right? They're going to go to the games. So, I feel your pain. That's all I can tell you. Yeah, I've heard the same thing because that is the talk when an owner says, hold me accountable. Well, who on earth holds the owner accountable? It would have in to be theory, the fans not going the way to, to do the that, yeah, is the fans not paying for tickets because you hit them in the, the pocket. wallet, That's the, the pocket. That's the only way. So, terrible. All right, let's move. Let's move. Let's move on to the next. So, I want to do something called Letters from the President. Okay. And the President is the Monsignor William B. O'Brien. Right. I'm not talking about the President of the United States. And we'll do this every now and then as I go through my archives, and I find letters from him that I think are extremely relevant and really speak to recovery, the struggle, and what it's about. So I found one today, and it's appropriately titled, From the President. There you go. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to read 
I'm also going to ad-lib a little bit just to bring it into current time. This is from one of the issue, and those of you old Daytop alumni remember this. Remember the Daytopics? Yes. Okay. So this is uh, from one of the issues of the Daytopics magazine. And on the cover was a picture of the the mythical Greek god Cepheus. So he writes, According to Greek mythology, Cepheus had been condemned by the gods to ceaselessly rolling a great stone to the top of a mountain. There at the top, and of its own weight, the stone would roll down to the valley, and the task would begin all over again. And totally useless task was, in the opinion of the gods, the most severe form of punishment they could inflict on a man. In Cepheus, one sees the whole effort of an individual straining to rise above, to raise a huge stone, to roll it and push it up a hill a hundred times over. At the very end of this long struggle, the purpose is almost achieved when Cepheus must watch helplessly as the stone rolls back down to the valley, from where he will have to push it up again towards the summit. Defeated and with a heavy step, he must go back down towards the torment of which he will never know the end. This is the stone's victory. Similar to the plight of Cepheus is the drug addict who by virtue of his dependency upon drugs is relegated to a meaningless life of desperation where the drug prevails as victor. His hope is for life, yet while dependent on drugs, he has created his own prison and condemned himself to a living death. Addiction to drugs earns that tragic penalty in which the whole being, meaning us, the whole being, Mm -hmm is exerted towards accomplishing nothing. This is the price that must be paid. In the program, we offer an an alternative. We teach a higher trust that, metaphorically speaking, negates the gods and raises the stone. The program instills the desire for life and helps the individual to push upward to expand the limits of his or her existence and overcome the dependency on drugs. As depicted on the cover, we see an individual successfully standing on the summit with his arms held high in victory. A winner. This is what is achieved in the program. Through the program, individuals are able to reach the summit, having won the struggle against drugs and stand tall as winners. In each and every one of them, you can recognize the distinctive aspects of the program's winning tradition of treatment, honesty, responsibility, and a strong value system. Getting off drugs and learning to live a drug-free life is a struggle, and the struggle itself towards the heights in the program and reaching the summit, a winner, is enough to fill anyone's heart with great joy. Finally, the program is not simply a treatment center made up of bricks and mortar. It is a winning tradition 
and the dedicated men and women who make up the program staff make that tradition real, and they are the true winners. Their commitment to the program and to the residents is total as they selflessly give of themselves to help others stand tall and achieve victory over drugs. It is to these winners we dedicate this issue. Now, the one thing you can do... I mean, let me tell you about how powerful that was. This is Monsignor, guys, the president, uh, coming up with such analogies and stories. Absolutely incredible. Well, I was going to say, if there's one thing the Monsignor can do is he can he can absolutely elocute a message. Oh, he certainly can. And I think, thanks to the late Monsignor, God rest his soul, from now on, I'd like you, as the executive director, to refer to me as an employee of the organization, as some sort of Greek god. You can pick the god, but that's what I want from here on forward. Well, no, actually, I can just refer to you as Charlie Sheen, because he's winners. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Or uh, Singletary, for that matter. I want winners. Excellent. Eloquently so, put, like you said. That was from the archives, from the president. That's well done. That is absolutely well done. All right. I'm going to contrast that with something we've been trying to read for the last three weeks here and kept forgetting. <laughs> here we go. We read this once before last year. Mm -hmm. I thought it was quite humorous, but um, I think it's time again to read it. I think we might have read it around the same time, maybe December-ish or something. Right, yeah. I believe so. It's been maybe a little less than a year. Okay. It's titled, How It Really Happened. It's pretty good. Eve was sitting in a corner in the garden and said, Lord, I have a problem. What's the problem, Eve, the Lord said. She said, I know that you created me and provided provided his beautiful gar this beautiful garden and all of these wonderful animals, as well as that hilarious comedic, comedic snake, but I'm just not happy. And why is that, Eve, the Lord said. Lord, I'm lonely, and I'm sick to death of apples. Well, Eve, the Lord said, I have a solution. I shall create man for you. Man, Eve said, what is that, Lord? And the Lord responds, a flawed creature with many bad traits. He'll lie, cheat. And be vain. All in all, he'll give you a hard time. But he'll be bigger, faster, and will like to hunt and kill things. I'll create him in such a way that he will satisfy your physical needs. He will be witless and will revel in childish things, like fighting and kicking a ball about. He won't be as smart as you, so he will also need your advice to think properly. Sounds great, said Eve. But what's the catch, Lord? Well, said the Lord, you can have him on one condition. And what's that, Lord, Eve says. And the Lord said, as I said, he'll be proud, arrogant, and self-admiring. So you'll have to let him believe that I made him first. And it will be our little secret, you know, woman to woman. Fascinating. 
That's pretty good. It's a pretty good one. And if you haven't heard it before, that's that's real. It's got the real kick well, at the end there. No, if you're a married man, you've heard it before. You sure have. You sure have. In one way, shape, or form, or or in one language or form or another. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. It, it actually, in kind of to the point, reminds me of a speech I heard at a wedding. And it was pretty good. It was, I guess this um it was the one of the bridesmaids gave this speech and apparently she had she's been to several weddings, so she's very good at giving these catchy little speeches. This was actually Donald's wedding. Um and so she she tells Donald to place his hand um, over his wife's hand and look her in the eyes and you know in you know imagine all the things you've been through and where you guys will go and come to the realization that this is the last time you'll ever have the upper hand and the whole place just breaks out in laughter like there it is that's the truth that is the truth and any any married man knows it so with that we will move on to our topic Usually this time of the year, historically in Daytop, even in our common ground for a period of time, uh, this was the time of Cadenzia. That's right. Cadenzia was unique to Daytop. And there was a meaning behind it. And anyone who came into the treatment program at whatever period of time, and if you stayed long enough to be there around this time of the year, you got to experience Cadenzia. And it was always the lead-up to Cadenzia. And, of course, the inevitable, inevitable question, what the hell is Cadenzia? <laughs> <laughs> right. No one's ever heard of that. Yeah, what is that? And so my my memory of Cadenzia is twofold. One as a resident in treatment, and one as a staff member. As a resident at the time that we did Cadenzia, the theme was casino night. Okay. And, of course, at Swan Lake, we built, and Parksville the same. I mean, you went all out. So if you can imagine casino night, we built uh what are the tables called? Blackjack Poker tables, blackjack, and blackjack tables. tables. I mean, you name it exactly. People were the people who led the tables. What are they called? The dealers, right? Were in you know were in full, full uniform. They, you, they went all out. That's awesome. Okay. And of course, all the participants in the house, okay, had to participate and be in costume theme. Okay. Or whatever the theme was. Okay. In some way, shape, or form. Right. Okay. <clears throat> and it was a fun night. Very fun night. Uh, Cadenzia. One of the, this happened with every holiday and every celebration, but it just blew my mind because the, the day after Cadenzia, so the Cadenzia was on a Saturday night. Sunday morning when you woke up, there was actually no signs that anything happened the night before. This was one of the amazing things that always that always amazed me about Daytona, especially up at the lake. It was, I'm sure, it went on in Parksville also. 
Christmas, the day before, the day after, there was no sign that there was ever a, an ornament. <laughs> not a not a single decoration was ever well, put up. You walk, you came on the floor, and there was absolutely no sign that there was that Christmas existed two weeks before, up until the night before. So, <clears throat> as a staff person, you were given a different angle on Cadenzia. Not only <clears throat> the fun of the event, whatever the theme was that the family came up with, but also to look at how people conducted themselves and to kind of look a little deeper and read into, you know, the costume choices that they chose. <laughs> okay. And a little deeper meaning behind those choices. Sure. You know sure. what I'm saying? Yeah. And of course, looking out for the game players and the, the couples and all of those things that happen whenever an event, a celebration, et cetera, on site. Right. Okay. All of these things come to the fore and come out. But they had nothing to do with what Gadenzia was about. What the hell is Gadenzia about? <clears throat> uh, and, and, and why is it relevant yeah. to this time of the year and recovery? Right. So Gadenzia uh, is the name of a racing horse. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, I'll kind of side note it here. Actually, maybe I'll talk about it after the story. Um, I know in the facility that I was in, and I'm not sure if this is the same back east, but it was almost used as a replacement for Halloween. It was, um, and that's kind of how it was explained to us too. That while the community at large celebrates Halloween, this is what we celebrate in its place. Yes. And so, story of a racing horse. And for anybody, we'll preface this a little bit, for anybody who doesn't really know how horse racing goes, um, when a horse is can no longer race or is injured specifically, which is why they would no longer be able to race, the horse is usually put down. We'll just, we'll leave it at that. That's mm. the term we'll use. And so this is, this is commonplace. This happens all the time. It still happens today. And um, so that's kind of the, the ugly side of horse racing, if you will. And so, anyway, Gadenzia was the name of a racing horse. And uh, there was build-up to a specific race that Gadenzia was going to run in. And, um, of course, it, would, it, it wouldn't be a story without Gadenzia injuring herself. I believe I heard that it was a female horse when I heard the story. We can go with that. The story changes from time to time in yeah. the minor details. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she ends up hurting herself, injuring her leg. And there are two things, actually, that happen when a horse injures his or herself during a race. One, the injury is a large enough setback to where the horse cannot finish the race. The horse will either limp off or stay right there. Horse can't finish the race with an injury. And then, um, more often than not, the horse is put down. So Cadenzia injures herself on the spot, I might add. So go ahead. <laughs> we're, we're, we don't want anybody listening to be too traumatized by this. But yes, on the spot, that is true. Um, not in front of everybody, but usually at that track yeah. at, at that time. I think they now cover, cover, cover. It used to be out in the open, but now right. they cover it. Go ahead. And so Cadenzia injures herself during the race, and... Much to everybody's surprise, this miracle, she manages to fight through this injury and the setback 
to finish the race, um, which in in this story and in real life, just incredible because this is not normally how horses as animals react to a leg injury. And there is a, a correlation or a parallel with why we would celebrate such a story in recovery. Uh, it has to do with just as the story states and explains that there you know there is a a proverbial finish line to treatment or to recovery when you're in a program mm-hmm. and there are going to be setbacks mm-hmm. and there are i'd say more often than not right the large majority of folks if they hit a large enough setback the tendency is to give up mm-hmm. to not finish but if you want to see the miracle through then no matter how large the setback that comes your way you manage to find a way deep down inside whatever the motivation for you has to be to still see it through and finish the race. Mm-hmm. And and when you do, this is what creates a successful client moving out into the real world, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the parallels are amazing between mm-hmm. the story of this horse and the story of uh, a client trying to overcome addiction or mm-hmm. overcome something that is a real struggle for most people to try and overcome. Uh, the part that I was going to say at the beginning that I'll add now was one of the games, I guess you could call it, in when we were celebrating Gadenzia, because we made this a whole day event, right. by the way. that you know There was usually some sort of barbecue and there were I guess you'd call them similar to like carnival games mm-hmm. with like a balloon toss or mm-hmm. an egg toss. Mm-hmm. But the game, the games always ended with a three-legged race mm-hmm. where, you know, your, your leg and someone else's leg is tied together. And, and so all the residents have this mm-hmm. race and you got people falling flat on their face, stumbling over one another. Um, but it was very symbolic Symbolism. in that this, this horse basically one leg down managed to find a way to to finish her race mm-hmm. um and so you know from the festivities and the game to the deeper meaning of the story itself it always had a, a very impactful kind of um delivery or, or experience would really be impactful um to it, the clients yeah, who were in the program the, the actual cel- celebratory day was really the culmination of the lead up of the story because obviously we didn't want to overshadow the meaning of the story and, right. and how it ties into your current struggle as, as it may be in being right. in treatment, trying to overcome this addiction. And so maybe I would say two weeks was usually the norm, but uh, it could, it could, it could even be a month out depending on how extravagant the theme mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. but it, we never allowed the celebration, the, the theme, and the, and the celebratory parts to overshadow what you just elocuted, right. the actual meaning behind the story, which applied to everybody that was in treatment because everyone experiences a setback. Mm-hmm. Um, and a setback can be many different things, many different grades, many different levels. People experience, you know, loss, you know, while they're in treatment. Mm-hmm. People experience their John letters while they're while they're in treatment. You know, <laughs> right, right. People ex- experience or feel the consequences of their actions 
while they're in treatment. You know what I'm saying? It, right. You know, I get in treatment, but what I did before I got here has caught up to me, and this this is the consequence, et cetera. So all these things that can cause someone to say, you know, forget it. I'm throwing in the I'm towel. I'm throwing in the towel. And so the message was I mean, if, if a horse that mm-hmm. is normally shot on the spot, you know, even if it's not a racehorse, a horse has needs all four legs to actually survive and live because right. it doesn't lie down. It stands. Um, it's sta- It sleeps standing up. It rarely lies on its side, and if it does, it can only lie for a very short time. Um, so its legs are very important. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they're not built with enough wiggle room to survive injuries. Right. So we juxtapose that to our clients and the different trimesters that they experience in treatment, if you recall, the shows Absolutely. that we did, and the different things that you might come up against as you go through the different trimesters. Mm-hmm. And I think we spent a lot of time talking about that first trimester. We always keep going back to that first one. Mm-hmm. That first that first 90 days. And can you, which is where everything, not only feelings that you haven't felt in however many years, but the reality of your life hits you. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it didn't hit you while you were in jail, which and today most of the clients are coming out of the criminal justice system. Absolutely. So if it didn't hit you while you were in jail, and sometimes it doesn't. You know what I mean? Jail, I mean, for some, jail is like the last place anyone would want to be. But, you know, the culture today is like jail is like, hey, oh, you know. I'll see you in a couple, you know. <laughs> yeah, catch up with old friends. I'll catch catch up with you in the county, you know what I mean? It's like, who would ever think that that would be okay? But that's the culture, it seems like. Right. But uh, so, you know, jail is like nothing. Even for some people, prison. You know, oh, I'm going up for one year. I'll see you, you know, when I get back. It's like, dude, you're going to a four-by-four four four cell. Like, a, you know, you're not supposed to be a caged animal. Right. You know what I mean? You're not taking a vacation here, man. Right. But so... You would think that if they were in jail or in prison, that that that's when the re- realization of their life would hit them in the face. That is not the. We're here to tell you that that is not the case. Mm-hmm. I would say fifty percent of the time. You, yeah. You would think it would be in the high eighties or nineties that wow, you know, it really hit me when I got locked up. That you know what, my life is out of control. That's mm-hmm. not the case. Sorry. So, True. Um. It's our hope that though when they when they arrive here, that it does hit them and that does happen a lot because they're not talking about your feelings in uh, in um, in jail or in prison. No. And we're hitting you with gut punches purposely, of course, um, in a respectful way, of course, in a dignified way, of course, with a with with a purpose in mind to uh, elicit some feelings and to kind of bring things in focus to you. Remember the old I and I? Yeah, the initial interview. The old initial interview. For those of you old-timers, the initial interviews have been done away with as we once knew them. We, we now, we, other programs, you name it, now do what's called... A welcome panel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where we welcome you with open arms and assure you everything he, will be okay. He, <laughs> He's exaggerating. Don't listen to him. <laughs> it is called a welcome committee. Uh, we're no longer uh, 
we're no longer uh, how can I say this that is no longer the forum where the emotional investment is elicited right from the client let's put it that way yeah you're not the goal of that welcome committee is not to as it may have been in the past to break someone down or have a look in the mirror moment right. get you to really be real right now mm-hmm. sincerity exactly is what we're looking for so that is now after the fact um and it's our work and hope that after you are welcomed into the family that the processes of the therapeutic community will make that happen yeah that's our hope the community will do what it needs to do right we don't need a defining moment as you walk in the door to make that happen right so there's going to be a lot of theoretical in that first trimester leg breaks leg breaking Mm -hmm. moments right um, and some of them are what we character characterize as devastating moments. And, you know, as, you know, hard as this may sound, as a counselor, you have nothing but to, to ask the person or beg the person to summon the will from somewhere deep within to just ride this out. Yep. You know, just... Ride it out. Seek seek comfort from a peer or something like that. Pick yourself up. You know, this, Pick yourself up. This too shall pass. Type of type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, tell them, listen. No one has ever passed away from from feeling. Right. You know what I mean. But the spirit of the Gadenzia story speaks to speaks to these moments mm-hmm. in treatment where there are these setbacks. These uh, these times when you, I think we sometimes refer to them as humps. Sometimes they can even be predictable. They're kind of like time time oriented. They have they may not have nothing to do with anything personal. It's just you know, wow, I'm just tired of being here. You know, right. I'm ready to see something different. And how are you going to fight through that? You know what I mean? You got six more months to go. You only got three months down, but you got to fight through the next two phases to get mm-hmm. to phase three. How are you going to do that? If you're ready after one phase, you feel like I'm, I can't do it anymore. It's too much. And, you know, out here we're talking, we're only talking, our programs only have 38, 32 people. Yeah, not very many. Yeah, okay. not very Could you imagine what it's like east. when you got 190 or 230 people? Yeah, that you would know, be... How overwhelming that... That would be overwhelming. But, Beg to say that it is a little bit more difficult in the smaller programs because although you may try and hide in larger programs and most people weren't successful in hiding, it is almost next to impossible, even if you desire to hide, to hide in the smaller program. <laughs> yeah. So it is almost magnified. You know, you're disgust. <laughs> so I can right. Put it. You know, after seeing the same people, I used to tell the clients, I said, look, you you can't hide from anyone here. You can't run from the people you don't like or the people that you hate. My hands are in quotes. And they mm-hmm. say, oh, I hate them. I can't stand them. You know, I said, well, every every morning you're going to see, see the same person over and over and over again that you hate. How are you going to deal with that person? Mm-hmm. How are you going to adjust, adapt, and deal with that? That's what the Gadenzia story is about. 
not ultimately the uh, the the gambling and the blackjack and the <laughs> <laughs> right and all the stuff we did on the celebratory night, but uh, the stuff it's it's the stuff we did um, in looking deeper into the story the of core Gidenzia, of the story right uh, prior to and talking about it in group, uh, making connections to it in our own lives. Uh, where in our lives did we experience? similar things and mm. where we, we picked ourselves up and kept going or the opposite. Where did we give, you know, the magic two words, you know what those two words are that we like to say. Oh yeah. And, uh, give up. Right. And, and what can be learned from that, to, from that experience today, from this story about this particular horse. Now I will readily admit, because I was asked this before the show by, uh, my co-host and producer, Oh, don't go there. <laughs> don't do it, man. Do not ruin it. I'm telling you, <laughs> that that may ruin things for folks. And as true enough as it is, we don't even know. So let's not just start throwing things out on air to stir things up that we're not even confident took place. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm going to say. Before oh, I say man, I know it, man. The, the co-host has a connection with his host. That's how he's able to do such a good job. I'm not going to allow the host to throw out any presumptions that may put damper the the damper on things as it were. Not going to happen. The horse went on to live a fruitful life <laughs> after this moment was uh fixed up. He did she did not race any longer, but she lived out her days on a beautiful apple orchard. What's the opposite of when you're placed out to stud? That's the male. And what's the female called? You're placed out to what? When you're just going to breed? Is it just a there's a name they use for it? We're not horse race, race horse Yeah, I don't know. The only so other one know I know is terms. put out to pasture, but that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's a term. The male horse is a put out to, as, to studs. So right, to, right. Know, but, um, uh, I don't know what the female horse is. A, maybe they're put out to pasture, I guess. Yeah, who knows? All right, we'll, we'll we'll let that be the end. I won't I won't raise any question marks. <laughs> Good to, to the story. That's it. That is the best way to. And we might we I guess it's worth adding to the listeners mm-hmm. that there is just as much possibility that this is a true story about a true racing horse mm-hmm. as it is um, a story of just a story of perseverance and hope mm-hmm. that is. Um, Fictitious. Well, I'll tell you what is true and how powerful the story of Gadenzia is. Mm-hmm. That uh, a program was started and named after it That's in right. Philadelphia. And that program thrives to this day, Gadenzia House. I had and heard of that. We have a Daytop had a strong blood bond to Gadenzia House. Why do I say blood bond? When I say blood bond, you know what I mean? Yeah, I believe I know what you mean as far as uh, potential, either the people who ran it or where it was started. Exactly. It's probably started by Daytop. Started in, uh, Gadenzia House started in 1968, mm-hmm. started by people who came from Daytop. Right. Okay. In conjunction with local politicians and, and, and community leaders and blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, et cetera. And some of our folks went to, uh, you know, some important folks went to work for Gadenzi House and then mm-hmm. eventually came back in the late 80s uh, 
uh, Benny Cuevas being one of them. Most people probably don't know who he is, but he was the administrator up at, Swan, at uh, Sullivan County okay. for a time when I was there. Um, and Benny, if you're still with us, God bless you. If you're no longer with us, God bless you. That's right. Um, so we, we, we have a blood connection to Gadenzia House. They're still, like I said, striving, going strong, and still you know, in the trenches uh, doing their thing in uh, Philadelphia and other parts of Pennsylvania. Um, so Gadenzia is not only just a, a horse, it's the name of a program. And, and they... It was from that theme right, that, that the that spirit of the of program, the program was ro- born. rose up, okay, of persevering, as you stated. Right. Um, so, yeah, we wouldn't celebrate, as I wrote in the description, there was no Halloween nonsense for us during uh, uh, during the treatment stay. It Absolutely was about, not. Uh, it was about Cadenzia. So that's all I got on Cadenzia. The ultimate recovery. Yeah. No, I'd say we... The story could have ended a different way. <laughs> oh, no. The director's cut with the alternate endings? <laughs> no, we we can't we can't hit anybody with that. It'd be interesting to get in touch with somebody from Gadenzia House to ask them it's, how it's, they believe the story ends. It's interesting that you even bring that up because one of my roommates when I was a uh, staff trainee... So he worked as the cook at Swan Lake. I don't remember his name. Okay. But he was from Philly. His family was in Philly. Um he he spent time in Daytop. Okay. He left Daytop and and kind of finished out his treatment in Gadenzia House. Huh. Okay. But because of his connections in 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 Daytop, um somehow got the cook's job up at Swan Lake. Okay. And on the weekends, he would go back to Philly. And most people who were up in that area knew, you know, there was was a back route from where the facilities were. To get to Philly? To to get to Pennsylvania and, I guess, you know, into wherever Philly was. I mean, it wasn't a shortcut route by any means in terms of time, but we weren't far from the Pennsylvania border because the training institute that Daytop used, Promethean, was in Pennsylvania. Okay. But only 30 minutes, 45 minutes tops, depending on who was driving the van, from the Swan Lake facility. Oh, wow. Okay. So we crossed over the Pennsylvania border at some point, and that's where it was located. Sure. Um, And so this guy would leave on Friday night and come back, you know, Sunday night and um, visit his family and and stay, uh, stay the week, live on site, cook, and then blah, blah, blah. But he he's a Gadenzia House alumni. Okay, and a, wow. And a Daytop alumni, so he held dual distinction. Dual citizenship. Dual citizenship. And there are many like that, by the way. Huh. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I realized the connection with the people who began it or started it, but not that the connection ran any deeper than that. There is a blood connection that Daytop has or had. If, with whichever many time you programs, use, right? With many programs mm-hmm. on the eastern seaboard and in Chicago, as Dr. David Deitch said, the Gateway House um, being one of them. Uh, but up and down the eastern seaboard, there's a lot of programs that they top-seeded. Right. We already know about the ones in New right. York. I might as well, we forgot to mention in our recap segment, 
the president was at a program in New Jersey, in New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, Integrity House. Now we don't have a blood connection to Integrity House, okay? But we do have a connection to Integrity House. Um, great program, uh, <clears throat> and wonderful that the president visited them. And they, they they earned a visit from the president of the United States. Um, that is an achievement. Absolutely. Program. Um, he was there to talk up his uh, his resentencing thing or whatever politics, etc. But good old politics. I can't recall any time a uh, sitting president visiting uh, a substance abuse treatment program. Right. Um, no. Nor can I. So that that's a great honor for them. But I had to write and let them know. Okay. <laughs> uh, after congratulating them that. Uh, it's important for the Integrity House alumni to keep in the back of their minds that Daytop did kick them out of the basketball playoffs two years in a <laughs> row in 1989 and 1990 in the TCA basketball tournament. <laughs> Perfect. TCA standing for Therapeutic Communities of America. <clears throat> so I had to just let them know that. Uh, don't forget. Don't forget. All right, don't forget. We gave you some props and some acknowledgement, but uh, we knocked you out of the playoffs two years in a row. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. Yeah, that is uh, that is quite the gesture mm-hmm. to have the president of the United States come and visit you. That's that's major. Mm-hmm. It's big time. Even if it's politics, mm-hmm. you could say out of the politics, and it's it's an honor. Of course, there's plenty of places to spread politics, mm-hmm. choosing and plenty of programs if you're going to choose that mm-hmm. field with which to spread politics. Mm-hmm. Choosing yours, so it's an the, honor. So the only thing, if I was to say in terms of, and I, I haven't heard all of the sound bites or, or all of the of the audio from the visit. I know he was talking a lot. He talks a lot, but I would be disappointed if there wasn't some talking about substance abuse treatment. Okay. Not not just talking about the you know, the changing of sentencing, you know, users and right. things of that nature, but yeah. about how treatment is does work for those who want it and all of that stuff, because the president speaking on something like that with the pulpit that he has, has is, impact. is significant. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but I haven't heard all of the audio. I hope I will at some point, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, that he obviously, like you said, does have that would have a significant impact, and <clears throat> hopefully, not just to talk about the decision that was made to drop felonies to misdemeanors, but that I actually believe people can rehabilitate and people can change. Exactly. That's all we got, sir. That is all we got. You so, want a short we, break? No, let's take our top of the hour uh, music break. Okay. And let's come back with some recovery support. I uh, got a lot of. Uh, X-Files. A lot of X-Files to get to? Get to. we got some callers holding, so That's well, right. let's keep it moving. All right. Thank you all who are on hold, either listening to enjoy the show or calling in. Thank you for your patience. We're going to take a quick music break and then get to recovery support time on the other side. Something I can give in exchange for a 
Coming up next 
is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. Back to Rochon Recovery. Time for our recovery support time. And I'm going to get in some uh, X Wild questions. Thank you, Mr. Producer. Marvin from Daily City. What is the importance of setting boundaries to the naysayers? It's going to be a lot of naysayers, especially if you have been in treatment for a significant period of time and you show yourself back around the way. People are going to want to know where you've been, what you've been doing, why you look so good, why do you sound so good. Some are going to be for you and some are going to be as Human nature would have it not for you. How you present yourself is all that matters. And that you are uh, strong and firm and tight with where you're going and what you're doing. And yes, that does include having good boundaries. What's an example in his context of good boundaries? Well, I'm not going to allow certain things to take place within my environment anymore that I control, in my car, in my house, etc. And I'm not going to put myself in certain situations that are going to expose me to things I no longer want to be exposed to. So it's self-policing and also self-enforcing. you got to attack from both ends. Brian from Redwood City. Do you have any help for changing my self-centered behavior? Well, that can be interpreted two ways. Uh, I'm not such a believer that in being self-centered, and when it comes to recovery, it's such a bad thing. Uh, 
because it is, in a sense, all about you. Now, if you mean that aside from your recovery and uh, getting your life back in order, that you don't give a rat's behind about anybody else, then that's totally different. There must be some care and concern for our other uh, persons, whether it be in treatment or outside of treatment. I mean, that's just basic human decency. So I'm not sure what he, which one he's referring to, but if he's referring to in treatment, there's nothing wrong with being self-centered, nothing no. wrong with being selfish, because it is and always will be about you and you getting your act together. That's right. But as you move further away from there, you, you must develop the ability to uh, care about others. I don't know how you're going to be in a relationship if you don't you know, care about other people no. or, or be able to extend away from yourself. You'll fall socially a, inept to another human being. So, uh, not sure which way he meant it, but I hope we covered both ways. I want to get to this one because this is a good one. All right. This one's going to cause some. You got to th- you got to really think in, in terms of this question. Hmm. This is from James San Mateo. How do emotions, thoughts, and actions combine to affect addiction and recovery? Right. Not, not, uh, we used to run a group actually and would start the group with, um, thought, feeling, urge, action. Mm -hmm. This is actually something that is kind of common now in Mm -hmm. the clinical realm as far as, um, they directly relate to pre contemplative, contemplative action, these stages that are now. It's now taught as a part of curriculum if you're in some sort of major at a university where you're going to be studying mental health. Keep it simple now. Keep it simple. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the whole thought, feeling, urge, action, or what were the what were the adjectives he used? Emotions, thoughts, and actions. Emotions, thoughts, and actions. The simple relationship, or the simple way to put it, is that they're all connected, um, and the first chain is the first adjective described there or or noun I should say describe their emotions um how you feel will dictate y- your feelings you can't control uh a feeling and emotion can be bought, brought upon instantly but based on that emotion your thought process will begin if somebody has done something where i am angry that that this is what i'm feeling well, now I have to think about what am I going to do with this anger? Am I going to walk away? Am I going to just brush it off? No big deal. Am I going to encounter this individual? So the thought comes after the initial hit of the emotion, and your thought process is getting you to contemplate what you're going to do to deal with this emotion that you're feeling. How are you going to resolve this? And then after that thought process, you act based upon whatever it is you thought. Okay, yeah, I'm going to turn and walk away, or I'm going to... You know what? You know, no problem. If someone bumped into you or whatever the case may be, um, there's an act that follows the emotion that is preceded by the um, or followed by the thought, okay. uh, culminating in an action. So how that works in recovery is, let's say you're triggered. You hear a song come on the radio. You drive by a specific neighborhood that brings up feelings for you about using for whatever the case may be. So the initial thought is not necessarily, or the 
initial emotion is not necessarily within your control. Oh, wow, I just kind of got tingly in my stomach and, you know, there's this emotion of using or however it is I feel. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me think about why this is. There's a thought next. Oh, you know what? It's because I used to do whatever I used to do here mm-hmm. or, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And then there's an action. Yeah, you you keep it moving. Mm-hmm. You go to a different location. You call somebody if you need to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I believe he said recovery and drug use. Well, there's the other side of the coin to that, that you could feel a certain way. Maybe you feel sad because you're dealing with loss. Somebody just passed away that, that is a loved one of yours. So the feeling is whatever it is, depressed, sad, down, and then now there's a thought process. What am I going to do to resolve this? Um, Use. And, yeah, right? And using could be the thought, relapse, that I could really... Well, that's the two you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the two extremes. Right. So he's, he acts about recovery and addiction. So exactly. You, you perfectly covered the recovery part, and the addiction part is would be... The, the thought process becomes the, to use, and the action is you right. go out and cop right. or whatever. So I call that the washing machine cycle. Okay. That we try and arrest people out of because the more you use, the worse you feel about yourself, and you don't like feeling bad about yourself, so you use more. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> right, exactly. So, <clears throat> so there you have it. Both sides of the coin. Uh, okay, let's go to the phones real quick. Uh, let's go to Frank from San Diego. Frank, welcome to the show. Hi there. Uh, first, I wanted to thank you guys uh, for having this show. I uh, love it. And I also have a question. Thank you. Um, I My question I have is, um, I've, I'm a recovering uh, meth addict, and um, I've uh, also realized while I was uh, also seeing a doctor that said that I possibly am suffering from ADHD. <clears throat> and... Uh, the question I have is the the prescription that uh, I guess is given to uh, medical patients that have ADHD has. Excuse uh, me, real quick, Frank, and I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off. That's We're having okay. a little trouble hearing you. If you could either speak up a little no bit problem. or turn the better? volume on the phone. Oh, that's awesome. Perfect. Thank you. Sure, sure. Uh, so should should I ask the question again or? Absolutely. Yeah, if you could. Okay. So uh, I'm a recovering addict. I uh, I am in a program and uh, you know dealing with an issue. Uh, the question I have <clears throat> is I also uh, since I've been in the program and kind of you know looking at everything, um, I was also possibly diagnosed with ADHD. And uh, to what I understand, the medication that is available for that is uh, has some ingredients of the drugs that I was using before. Is it a good idea to you con, you know consider taking this medication in the future after my uh you know uh, after I'm sober for a while or it's not Do you drink uh, coffee? Uh I not no I did not really. Tea? Yes, yes, I do drink tea, huh? Soda? Yes, sure. Okay. So those have similar substances to what you're referring to as this medication that you're thinking about or contemplating going on would have. And you drinking the soda 
you drinking the tea or drinking coffee or whatever it may be does not cause you or has not caused you and should not cause you to make a decision that's not in your best interest. And what I mean by that is if the medication is going to have a positive impact on your quality of life, okay, and just because, you know, the medication may have some stimulant qualities to it, and the drugs you may have used may have had stimulant stimulant qualities to it, doesn't automatically mean that it's going to either cause me to go back to using my drugs or, or you know, have some kind of negative physiological response in your body. Correct. That's going to affect you that way, either thought-wise or, you know, emotionally, et cetera. Okay. That doesn't have to be the case. You can understand what the drug is, what its purpose is, how it's going to impact you, know what ingredients it has, okay, and then understand that it's no different than if I was a coffee drinker or a tea drinker. Caffeine is a stimulant. So a stimulant is a stimulant is a stimulant. makes no difference to us whether it's, you know, coffee tea, or hot chocolate. That's correct. If if the drug is going to improve your quality of life, you should strongly consider it. And um, everyone who's in recovery who may have to use a medication every now and then or consistently has to just learn how to use it as use prescribed it. Not and not abuse it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your help. And again, I love your show. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. A lot of people out there drinking Diet Cokes, (laughs) which are worse than the regular Coke. By far. Whenever I see someone drinking a diet drink, I'd say, drink the regular drink. Yeah. It's the the lesser of the two evils. Two evils, that's true. Although you know, in response to it, and actually, it's it's kind of a kind of a cool move or gesture by Pepsi, and it's telling that there this is no longer debatable that aspartame, which is the artificial sweetener found in most diet sodas, um, is carcinogenic. That Pepsi, I, I believe it was three weeks ago, and this was in the news, and it's widespread now, actually removed. All of their diet sodas that were um, in, they took them off the shelves that had already been produced or manufactured, however you want to call it, and shipped out, and now um, no longer use aspartame in their diet drink. Um, so it's it's actually the first time that a billion dollar industry has reacted to instead of fighting. The, the the commentary or the politics that were coming out about this artificial sweetener being so bad for you where Coca-Cola and other large companies could find a way to circumvent the issue or you know claim that oh that's not entirely true or proven we just recently had a billion dollar industry respond to that and and adjust this is all I'm going to say and then I'm moving on okay when either Coke or Pepsi decides that we no longer need to transport our product in trucks 
that have the sign on the back that says extremely hazardous chemicals on board, <laughs> right? then come talk to me. Okay. That's all I got to say on that. All right. Let's go to oh, Kelly from Manteca. Hi. Welcome to the show. Just, hi. Um, hi. I was just wondering, I haven't been in a relationship for seven years, and he still drinks, and I'm getting clean. How do I create boundaries? Should I stay with him, or what should I do? So your first question was, how do I create boundaries? Because I don't second have any. Que- <laughs> your second question was, should I stay with him? Yes. I'm going to make him an offer again with you. <laughs> what did you say? I didn't hear that. <laughs> do it again. I'm going to make him an offer again with you. I still can't understand it, but that's okay. okay. He's not playing it loud enough. No, he's not playing it's, it clear enough. <laughs> it's from, from The Godfather. Okay. All right. Well, let me just ask you a question. Honest answer. Do you want to stay with him? I can't give you an honest answer because I don't know. Okay, that is not an honest answer. The last part of what you said when you said, I can't give you an honest answer because I don't know, the I don't know, that's not an honest answer. Although I would argue that I don't know is the only thing I need to hear to know what the answer is. If you want to be with somebody, you're certain. So if you don't know, that's as good as saying you don't really want to be with him. Hmm. That's true, too. Touche. So... The first thing that must happen is you must become honest with yourself mm-hmm. and speak what your truth is on this matter, good, bad, or ugly. And if the ugly truth is, yeah, I still want to be with him, I love him regardless, then that's the ugly truth. But you must first be able to speak it. Okay, then I think, yeah, I still want to be with him. I love him, but he's bad for me. Okay, that's that's the truth. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just the real deal, and that's what it is. So once we speak the truth, now we have to ask ourselves, okay, where do we go from here? This is how I feel. Now I'm going to ask you, what do you think? What do I think I should do, or? Mm Mm-hmm. You just told us how you felt. I now think I should you, not. There's been so much hurt in the past and so much. I don't think I should be with him, but I can't leave him alone. Okay. So your thoughts process, your thinking, your brain is telling you, this is not the right person for me. De- yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. I need to, at the very least, while I'm in my process, step away from this person. Definitely. So I can focus on myself, get myself right, okay? My feelings, however, are that I want to be with this person. Yes. Okay? So in the rawest form of advice, we say, forget your feelings. Who cares about your feelings? You're not an infant. Your feelings don't dictate what you should and shouldn't do. (laughs) In this case, your brain needs to rule. Your brain needs to tell you what the right thing to do is for you. Because if you listen to your feelings, we already know what's going to happen. 
This is what we mean by when we talk about you can feel what you feel whenever you want to feel it. You can express what you feel. But what are you going to do behind those feelings? What's going to dictate what you do? Mm-hmm. If the thought process doesn't change, then you're going to do the same old thing you've always done. If the thought process changes, you're going to do something different, and you might experience a different result. Yeah, very true. So I've got to change the way I think. Huh? That's the. It's already in you. You've already spoken it. You're, you're, no, you're, it's just this battle that's going on within you between what you feel and what your brain is telling you. And what I'm saying is this is one of those times when someone who is trying to achieve recovery, okay, one of the core things about recovery is no longer allowing how I feel to dictate what I do. My brain has to tell, you know, says what is the right thing for me to do, regardless of how I feel right now in the situation. What's the right thing to do? And that's what I got to go with, regardless of how I feel. Okay. I'm going to work on that. No one can twist your arm. No one can put you in a headlock. The only person (laughs) that can do, seriously, the only person that can do this is you. I know, and this is a really serious issue for me, so I know. And your life okay. is worth it. Your your life is worth it. It could Thank be you. it could be life or death decision. You're right. And I'm it not. Could I'm be. not. You know, make it. You know, what's the word, Mr. Producer? I'm not trying to be bombastic or right you know, <laughs> over the top. Yeah. I'm really saying that yeah, you're, yeah. you're talking Extreme. about a person who's still actively using. You know, and. That's not an environment that you want to go back into or a relationship you want to go back into. You want to be – you want to get yourself right. You want to be on your path, and if they're willing to get on a path, that's one thing. But if they're not ready, you got to move. Yeah. You're, going to be, okay. you're, you're going to be so far ahead of the person emotionally, mentally, and in other ways that you, in order for it to work, you're going to have to come down. Yeah. You're right. Okay. Thank you for your advice. You're very welcome. All right. You have a nice night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Boy, she couldn't get off the phone fast enough. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's about enough out of you guys. That's pretty good. That's a tough situation, but it's like we've said over the past year now, relationships, it's, it's a very, very, very difficult position to be in. They're recovery killers. Absolutely, absolutely, they are. And but what's I mean, at, what's what's at the root? It's at the root of it when someone is saying, you know, "This is how I feel. This is what I, this my brain is telling me." Well, there's always the case of the brain saying, "Hey, this is the right thing to do here," and the feelings saying, "Well, this is how I feel." Okay. Well, what's at the root at making the wrong decision? Is it I'm lonely? Is it my need to uh, that I have to have somebody to feel complete and whole? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's something at the root, and we got to get to it. Because if we don't get to it and really explore it, analyze it, and resolve it, deal with it, then we can predict what the decision is going to be. Right. Absolutely. And then kind of uh, to a lesser degree as far as points are concerned, but what I brought up in the beginning, if you've been 
with someone for seven years. Your question is, should I get back with this person because they drink and I'm trying to quit? And then you follow that by asking them, well, how do you feel like going back with them or whatever you said? I think you asked her how she felt. And the response was, well, I don't know. Well, if you've been with someone for seven years and the question is put on the table to you, how do you feel? Do you feel like you want to be with him? And your answer is, I don't know. Your answer is no. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. I want to uh, ask a very controversial X-File question. This is from, looks like Sandra from Morgan Hill. Okay. My doctor has prescribed me medical marijuana for my chronic pain. My sponsor said I lost my sobriety date and might start drinking again. Is that true? Repeat that. Her doctor prescribed her medical marijuana for chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Her sponsor said, I guess, from whatever point she started taking it. Right, right, right. That well, She lost her recovery you've, date. You, you've lost your sobriety date. And you know what? You're going to start drinking again as a result. And <laughs> so she's asking us. Harsh. Um, is that true? Well, the only person who knows whether or not you're going to start drinking again is you. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, no one gets to determine whether – there's no set r- rule, to my knowledge, where someone gets to determine whether or not you've lost your recovery date. If It's like we've said, and it's always a hot topic for debate, but people will call in and say they're going to have a surgery – they know they're going to be prescribed painkillers. This was their drug of choice. Should I not take the painkillers? Mm-hmm. If a doctor is endorsing and prescribing something for your physical or mental condition, and you do not abuse said endorsement or prescription, then you are taking care of a medical necessity. Now, if you start to abuse that, take more than you should... Maybe the doctor has prescribed it in pill form, and now your sponsor comes over, and you're smoking it out of a pipe or a joint or whatever. Big bong. A <laughs> big bong. Then, uh, yeah, then you probably have, as uh, Ricky used to say, you probably have some splaining to do. But as long as you're taking care of a medical necessity within the bounds and confines of the doctor's prescription and orders, I don't – I think it's – um. It's a little old school day top for your, for your sponsor to say, that's it. You've relapsed. Your recovery time is out the window. And, and come to me next week when you start drinking, and, and I'll offer you some support for that, too. And you know what? And we're pulling your sobriety date. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't, like I don't agree your, with that. Like they're pulling your request. Here's my take. Okay. Um, I have some history with this question being brought to me by a friend um, who – has you know is experiencing some long-term physical issues and found relief with medical marijuana and asked me did I say axe you did it's okay. a new york thing right. i ignored I it at apologize. this point um listen um have i relapsed since i'm now using this and so i asked a couple of questions first are you receiving 
relief from the physical ailment that you are experiencing. Yes, significant. And let's say, for example, and let's say you were just smoking like a joint. I know we now now know it's available in pill form, but let's just say. So let's say uh, you smoked one joint a day, and that one joint was sufficient enough to deal with the physical ailment and improve your quality of life. Right. Excuse me. If that was sufficient and that's all that you did, okay, my personal opinion, okay, Mm -hmm. is that, no, you haven't relapsed. I would agree with that. You're taking advantage of something that's available for you to use to help you with a legitimate medical issue. Now, if you all of a sudden find yourself... Start twisting up a couple extras. Exactly. (laughs) And not because... You know, you needed to because your your tolerance got built up over years or whatever the case may be, but just because, right? Okay, that's very different, right? Okay, and I, and I explained this to the person in detail that way. I said, so as long as you are honest with yourself and being responsible in how you're going about utilizing it, okay, then no, you haven't, you know, relapsed because there are. You know, this isn't 1979, okay? There are a number of illnesses out there. Remember back in the day when everyone knew that glaucoma? Yes. You know, could be helped with, you know, with marijuana. Marijuana, right. But there are a lot of illnesses today that uh, people experience significant relief. Yes, I know there are some people that are gaming it. We we know that for a fact. Of course. Um, We're not speaking to those people. We're talking about people who have, you know, that have legitimate health issues that, in conjunction with other things, they, 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 the doctor prescribed this, and voila, it has helped. And the traditional pharmaceuticals haven't helped. Who's to argue? Who's to argue? As if the traditional pharmaceutical has some God-given you know, number one position over something that isn't traditional or wasn't traditional and but helped and just because in some places it's legal or federally it's illegal, but in some states now it's legal medicinally and even recreational, et cetera, but we won't get into that. But who's to say? My only point to her was are you experiencing relief and a better quality of life, and are you only using what you need to achieve that? And if the answer was yes to all three, then I said, to me, you haven't relapsed. No. And in fact, as you're saying this, I think about um, we have clients, and we're not the only ones. There are clients and programs all over the place where you have somebody who was using heroin heavily who comes into the program because they want to stop and they want to make a change. And because of the impact heroin has on you physically, you can't just quit cold turkey that could actually kill some people. So you may enter a program because you want to change your life. And for the first month or two weeks or two months or however long the doctor has deemed you need to be 
taking a medicine uh, during this, and there are different ones, obviously. Um, the there are a number of different the, ones they're the, trying to bring on, bring into the mainstream. Let's say, other than you know, methadone's out right, there, right? Exactly. Um, but there are a number of. There's two or three more they're trying to mainstream. But so I would say that the client coming into the program day one, who's hit his rock bottom, quote unquote, he or she is fed up. They want to make a change. They want to quit. For 30 days, they're going to be on methadone, but they're going to take it and use it as prescribed. I would not, as an employee of that organization, say, well, we're, we welcome you here, but you cannot start counting your clean time until you're done with the methadone. As far as I'm concerned, walking into the program day one, if you have really surrendered to this process and said you're fed up and it is time for you to make a change and you begin to do so, even though you take methadone at the end of the night because your body physically needs it, mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to state that your clean time doesn't count from day one. Because to me, I mean, obviously there is a component of behavior involved making a, a physical decision whether or not to use. Mm -hmm. But to me, Clean time is more of a, a mental frame of mind um, because if you've made the decision and you see it through that you are done with the days of using and you're going to live responsibly. Um, That's just to keep hold your point. That's sure. the key there. The, the, the addict life is not just the act of using. It encompasses a whole lot more. Yes, exactly. So, so a you're, thought process, you're a way of all, doing you're things. You're giving all that up. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so if you genuinely – genuinely mm -hmm. made that decision but there is going to be a 30-day treatment period where you're going to be weaned off of the heroin with whatever medicine is out there mm -hmm. i don't believe that that 30 days should not count mm -hmm. in fact i vehemently disagree and i would argue with anybody this sponsor included who would make that point because there's a parallel there they would have to then say the people in our program or any any program anywhere for that matter mm -hmm. who are taking methadone because they came in and they've quit heroin that their clean time has not begun. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm ready to um, I'm ready to debate that until the cows come home. Yep, I agree. Or if they've had a year, quote unquote, clean time, mm -hmm. and then they started taking. You know, as in this person's case, medical marijuana, and all of a sudden their sobriety date is yanked. Right. Yeah, I've got two years clean. Now I'm getting a little older. I've got to have a back surgery. They're going to prescribe me a narcotic painkiller. Or, heck, when I'm coming to from the anesthesia of the surgery and I've, they've got a morphine IV hooked up to mm -hmm. me, uh, you're going to come in while I'm in the hospital bed? Let me get that chip back. That, that well, Absolutely not. Ah, those are some of the uh, controversies with uh, the 12th step. All right, let's go to uh, Fermin from East Palo Alto. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you guys doing? Good. So uh, I am new in a rehabilitation program, and um, I've been with my significant other for over nine years. And she's been coming to visit me, but I feel like she's not supporting me while being here in the recovery program. I want to know if there's any way that I can 
just keep her out while I'm here and maybe start all over when I get out. You get to dictate who visits you. If you don't want someone visiting you that's visiting you in the program, you get to dictate that. Right. But if I love this woman, you know, and I want to go out of my way to make her happy, but at the same time I'm in the program, so it's kind of like stressing me out whether me getting my recovery or staying with her, you know. So I, it's, it's, it's kind of like confusion at the same time, but at the same time, I want my recovery. So this this is that battle again between what you feel and what you think. So, so I need to control the things that I'm thinking. No. You need to be honest with yourself, first and foremost. You're, you started off by saying that this person that comes to visit me in my program is not supporting me. Right, right. So the question to you is, do you, if, do you want that person to continue coming to visit you? Well, the thing is that I don't want to lose the person. You know, but at the same time, I feel like she is no support because she told me that I have changed. Let me interrupt you. So that's why always going to continue to come back to the original question. Do you or do you not want this person to continue to come and visit you? I honestly think she shouldn't come and visit me anymore. Now, when She's you say gonna... you honestly think, well, I'll just slow down, walk with, walk with me on this one. When you say you honestly think she should, when you use the word think, are you saying in my brain that's what I believe should happen? Or are you saying in my, in my feelings that's what I believe? Which one are you talking here? Brain or feelings? Feelings. Because so, in my heart, I don't want her to stop coming to visit me. But it, okay. my feelings so, is telling me that she so should. So your feelings, so let's get it straight. Your feelings are telling you, no, I want, you to st- I, I want her to still visit. That's what your feelings are telling you. Right. Your brain is saying, no, she's not supporting me. I don't want her to come. Exactly. Now, which one is going to win that battle? The way I feel. I got some bad news for you, my friend. The way you feel... And allowing your feelings to make decisions for you is the reason why you are where you are right now. 
Mm. See, your feelings don't know right from wrong. You, they, they don't, you only feel. You only know what you feel. So you were honest when you said, well, this is how I feel. I want her to come and visit me. I don't want to lose her. That's what you said. That's honest. But your brain is the one that can decipher and say, but you know what? This person is not supporting me. They're not in my corner. The things they're saying to me aren't what I need to hear right now. I need, to be, I need, pos- I need positivity, and that's not what I'm getting. See, that's what your brain is saying. Right. And I'll only say this, and I'll leave you with this so you can contemplate it and think about it. The brain has to win. My brain has to win. The brain has to win. So I need to come to a point where she comes again and I have to let her know that she no longer can come. Or... Or or maybe you might need a break. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean by a break? A break, just not not yeah, worry like about a relationship at all. Or, or at if the person is coming to visit you every week, maybe take a couple of weeks off. And think about the process. Exactly. Give you some breathing time to really flush it out in your mind, flush out your feelings, and they can come, you know, two weeks from now, and then you can sit down and have an honest conversation. Mm. Right. Or, if you're ready, you can have an honest conversation the next time the person comes to visit. It's all about the willingness to be honest not with yourself, and then transfer that and have an honest conversation with the other person. Mm. Maybe get a break sounds better than just doing it right there. That's fine. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with breathing room. Right. Because that's like my trigger, like every time... She comes and then visits you, me. Then you need a I break. I feel like, yeah, I feel then, like I'm, you know. Then you need a break. Okay? All right. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Good stuff. Relationships. The recovery killer. <laughs> that'll be the title that'll, of the, yeah that'll be one of our shows that'll be the title of the book exactly <laughs> now it's uh i used to have a specific seminar that maybe once every four months after there's been some turnover in the population so it didn't get dry for people mm-hmm. i would run specifically on decision making mm-hmm. it was just about what you were just speaking with the caller about um the difference between making decisions based on how you feel or your emotion versus making decisions based on what you know and the difference between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And I would always start the seminar just by asking, um, how many people have made a decision based on how they felt and came to regret it? And almost unanimously, everybody raises their hand. Mm -hmm. And I would give a really basic analogy. 
let's say somebody insults you mm. or, or insults somebody in your family, whatever. And your response in that moment is to react on the feeling of disrespect or whatever that feeling is. So you assault the individual or you get into a fight and the police show up and you're arrested and you have to go, if you're an adolescent juvenile hall, if you're an adult jail, say you go sit in jail for 90 days or 120 days. I would I would walk them through the process of trying to remember that and say, on day 60, are you still feeling disrespected by that comment or have has that feeling passed? And almost again, unanimously... No, I don't feel as angry as I did in the moment anymore. Mm -hmm. I said, well, okay. So there's a perfect example of making a decision based on an emotion while emotions come and go. Uh, They change daily, hourly, weekly. And so you make a decision based on how you're feeling now. The odds are you're not going to feel that way tomorrow morning or next week. But the impact of you making a decision based on that feeling is going to outlive the feeling itself. Mm -hmm. So whereas if you make a decision based on what you know, which is really the difference between right and wrong, which we all know, and you choose to do the right thing, there is no way you can ever regret that decision because what's right and wrong is not going to change. Mm -hmm. It is going to be that way from now until the end of your life. This way you know in making that decision you won't look back and, damn, I wish I had done something else. Because you did what was right now 99% of the time, making a decision on based on right and wrong and what you know is usually in any given scenario the tougher of the two decisions mm-hmm. to make, which is why people struggle with it. But you won't have to live it down, the mm-hmm. consequence that will come from making that decision versus making the decision on how I feel today when, shoot, I'll wake up tomorrow in jail, I don't feel that way anymore, but now i got a 120-day sentence to, to think about that. So, um, yeah, so real similar to what you were talking about. And that's about. usually the last words from the judge. And now go think about it. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, um, Yeah, it's going to be a show. We're going to have to combine the... The art of decision-making. With, with, with well, we did the show on feelings, uh, uh-huh. but we didn't uh, speak to how that is going to play a part in decision making as it relates to your thought process. And I think right. that's a good topic for the future. Absolutely, we will, definitely, uh, we will down, flirt with it. Put on the docket. <laughs> uh, right. So to follow up that the we have another X file question, which is another toughie. Um, Kathleen from San Mateo. Um, I think my teenage daughter. How how are we on time, by the way? I just you got, got about lost. five minutes. Oh, okay, I just got lost on time. I think my teenage daughter is drinking, hmm. possibly using drugs. What should I do? Now, I usually have uh, uh, an initial, visceral reaction to to a question like that, which. Depends on you know who you are and what you're doing. So if you're a parent, you're doing the right thing and trying to do the right things, and this is what you believe to be the case, then you're in a position where you can try to intervene. However, if you aren't in a position where you can parent 
You know what I mean? It's, you know, you're locked up or you're in a program yourself or, you know, you're using yourself or you're drinking yourself or whatever the case may be. And I'll interject real briefly that some people might think they can still parent in those situations, and you cannot. No. Because your actions are what are looked at, not yeah. what you say. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you just made my point. Oh, well, there you have it. You can't. You, you, there's The question is, well, what should I do? Well, if you're in a position where you can parent with some uh, moral authority, let's call mm-hmm, it that, mm-hmm. then you can try and intervene. Right. If you're not in a position where you can parent with some moral authority, what you more more than likely, and I'm, this is negative thinking, but I'm I'm more of a I'm a realist. More than likely, it's just going to fall on deaf ears, mm-hmm. because the worst thing that can happen is if they can throw back in your face what you're doing or what you did two weeks ago, or so on and so right. forth. Um, it's different when you have time behind you, and you're in a place where your past no longer impact you know impacts you or stops you from speaking truth and speaking correctness and, and the right thing to do and so you can parent with some moral authority but if that's not the case it's nothing you can do you can ask others to try and intervene other family members grandparents aunts uncles somebody but that's a challenge that is a challenge if that's a situation where you have a teenager that is uh, entering the, the, the fray, the lifestyle that we're trying to um, dial back here. That's the time when we don't want them uh, – well, there's no good time, but not while the brain is still maturing and growing do we want them to start, but that's when a lot do start. So I'm not sure how helpful our answer was. To that question, but it's a it's a difficult proposition, uh, or let's say not proposition. It's a difficult position to be in as a parent, and the only good thing is if you're in a moral authority position where you can try and intervene. Right. Completely agree. If you're not, good luck. I completely agree. Do we have time for another quick call? Minute and a half. So maybe he asks his question and takes the answer off the air. All right. Let's go to Danny from San Mateo. Danny, real quick, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome. Okay, well, I have a, a question. We don't and, have that much know, time, Danny, so shoot it real quick. Okay, I'm addicted to selling, and I need to get over that. I'm in a program now. What would be a good way for me to to battle that? Okay. Now, I'm not. I, I'm not a substance abuser. So my thing is just just selling. Okay. So, Danny, we're going to take you off live, off the line, put you on hold so you can listen to your answer off the air. All right? Okay. Okay. Stay on the line. This is, kind of, this is not specifically to Danny, but it's always been an issue with me. If, if you're not a substance abuser, right. why are you in treatment? Mm-hmm. Are you avoiding jail, prison, or whatever the case may be? If you're a dealer, how are we to help you? Yeah. No, I agree. There's the very general or vague, you just treat addiction like addiction no matter what its face is. But, yeah, 
as far as being in a um, chemical dependency or substance abuse program and you don't have a dependency to chemicals or abuse substances, then... Um, I'm not sure. Did he say addiction to selling? Yeah, selling. So, yeah, no. I mean, I completely agree um, with what you said. I'm not this may not be the place for you, but on its face, a counselor can treat it as just struggling with addiction in general, being addicted to something. But that's very vague. I mean, like you can get that anywhere as far you, as a, you can speak to choices, thinking process, right? Consequential uh, thinking, and all of those things, right? Um, but I don't know what else. No, that's basically what I would say as well. Okay. So uh, that's it, man. I'm cutting you off. All right, that's it. We got to we got to roll. I've been cut off. So appreciate again all the support. We do see we had a lot of callers on the line listening in, as well as the recovery support time. We think that's awesome. Just a little note for everybody: we will not be live next Tuesday. There is some organizational business that needs tending to. However, if you are having a hankering for the show next Tuesday, hankering, uh, feel free to scour our archives and pull up a show that you may have missed in the past um you're you're more than welcome to do that we hope you do and so we will look forward to being back on air the following tuesday um and hope that you all call in and uh get that hankering met so we wish everybody a great couple of weeks that's the 17th okay on the 17th uh So, again, we wish everybody a great couple of weeks and some fun and safe weekends, and we look forward to being on air on the 17th. Take care. Seems like yesterday, but it was long ago.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all 